Hi, welcome to Shift, PwC Canada's podcast series, and we're digging into key digital trends and topics that can make your business transformation a reality. I'm your host, John Finkelstein, and I'm also the creative director of PwC Canada. Welcome to another episode of Shift. Today, we're going to be talking about investing in innovation, and our guest today is Bryce Seschuk from Global Live. Bryce, how are you doing? I'm doing great today. Thanks for having me, guys. So tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what you've been sure. up to. So again, my name is Bryce Seschuk. I, uh, I actually started my career, I'm a Toronto guy, I started my career at Coopers & Librand, a predecessor firm, obviously, to the fine PwC. I did a chartered accountancy uh, in the financial services practice. And uh, when dot-com one hit is about the time when I was finishing up that work. And uh, myself and some business partners had the entrepreneurial bug really from day one. And uh, with all the opportunities that were, were kind of opened up at that time, we hopped out. We started our first company. And really, I've never looked back. So after starting that first company, we've done a succession of deals over the years, kind of scaling and building and growing. Our most famous deal uh, was with my current business partner, a gentleman by the name of Tony Lacavera, quite prominent in the ecosystem. Uh, he and I and a couple of other people built Win Mobile. Canada's answer to a T-Mobile Metro PCS incumbent buster from zero to, you know, a multi-thousand person organization that included an ultimately a 10-figure exit. Since then, we, uh, we took liquidity at the end of that project and we've been focused on investing in the Canadian, primarily Canadian, but not solely innovation ecosystem. So we've worn an operating hat for about 20 years and we've taken a lot of the lessons from that and some of the liquidity that we've, uh, we've been able to garner and we are, we're putting that to work on the investment side. So as a creative guy, I always say to folks, you know, ideas are really easy, right? Anybody can have an idea. They're, they're ripe for the picking. Execution is really hard. So I'm curious, you know, when you're looking at, you know, new ventures, innovation, incubation, whatever the stuff that you look at, what are you looking for? How can you tell, you know, a good idea that you can execute versus one that you can't? It's a great question. Look, the, the way we think about it is we kind of split the world into, let's call it idea slash product and sales and marketing execution. Okay. And then, you know, all the operational stuff and so on kind of falls out around that. And you can always kind of solve for that. So we are a group that I would suggest lands on the side of the sales and marketing execution world. So I think there are those who would say that, you know, product is everything. And kind of, if you get that perfectly right, Things, things fall into place. Maybe the apples of the world. I think Y Combinator is known uh, a bit for that. Um, and then there are other schools that are very much around getting your execution in order, thinking about sales and marketing scale aggressively. We are, we are in that, that camp, if you will. So ideas, important. Product, important. But second in many ways to me in terms of looking at the team and their ability to, to execute. I have a what I call kind of the time allocation dimension. And I think about how does that team think about three things? Strategy, which again is some of that product and so on, long-term business thinking, addressable market, people and culture. Ultimately, it is the win in our experience in 20 years of operating. It's cliche, people and culture win the day. And third, and this is the one that we have found that is neglected, it's neglected relative to the other two, but ultra important, and that is capital raising. So what we have found is that there are entrepreneurs that think about capital raising very systematically, stages ahead, moving pieces around the chessboard, thinking about four moves ahead, and actually allocating real time, as painful as that might be because it's detracting from other areas, in thinking strategically about capital. We have found that to be a key attribute in the winners. 
Okay. So that would be dimension one. Dimension two is a Warren Buffett, if I can call it that. And although it, it's often talked about in the context of larger companies, I think it also has a role everywhere. And that is integrity, intellect, and initiative. And he says it well when he says, if you don't have the first one, integrity, the other two mean nothing. So that would be my second dimension. Third, there's a very, very uh, well-regarded business book. It's called The Outsiders. It's not the Pony Boy Outsiders. And the focus is on looking at CEO performance, company performance in the public markets over, I think it was 25 year periods. And they had to meet two criteria. One is they had to outperform Jack Welch's tenure at General Electric. And number two is they had to not, that had to not be lucky. And lucky means the sector that they were in kind of rose so fast because of the sector. So it had to have other attributes of outperformance. So it had to have relative outperformance. And they, they focus on two things the operating capabilities of the CEO, and I would suggest that that's table stakes. You have to be able to operate. But the second piece, and this is where the kind of the book really hit it, and they profiled about eight or 10 companies, is how you think about capital allocation. And I come back to, so capital raising is one aspect of capital allocation, M&A, dividends, share buybacks, you know, whatever the, the deployment of capital is, the guys who won long-term in terms of shareholder value understood that discipline as well as the operating side. And last but not least, we have our own little dimension, if I can call it that. And this is informed by a lot of the wind and a lot of the other telecom scale up that we've done. And I categorize it as mercenary, if I can use that term, complete and utter resilience, and ultimately that extreme sales and marketing execution. That's a lot more thorough than, hey, I have an idea. A lot more thorough. You've been doing this a long time, Bryce. I think people would be really interested to hear, you know, what are some of the recurring themes, um, you know, challenges, opportunities, whatever, that you're seeing around um, startups and innovation? I love the incubation, incubator side of things. What are you seeing? So, look, it is the golden era of the term innovation. In fact, it's probably one of the more abused terms, that and disruption of the last, uh, let's call it, 10 years. The challenges side of innovation, and there's the opportunity side of innovation. And on the challenges side, my business partner, Tony Lacavera, please buy this book at Christmas. He just published a book with Penguin Random House called How We Can Win. And I'm going to take this in a Canadian context. We have a bunch of structural and kind of fundamental issues in Canada that are hindering the scale-up side of the innovation ecosystem. We are good at starting companies. I think we actually have more startups per capita than many other countries, including the U.S., which is an interesting one. We've done very well, and I give John Ruffalo at Omer's uh, Ventures credit for this. He really focused in his early days at Omer's around building up the early stage uh, kind of ecosystem, the accelerators that we've been talking about and so on. And we've actually got a bit of a groove there. We have good engineers, they do good product work and so on. Where we fall off is taking the ideas, the products back to that discussion and aggressively scaling them globally from a sales and marketing standpoint, in my opinion. And then all the things that fall, that have to then get added to global scale. And so, you know, we have to ask ourselves questions. You know, we're doing okay, but are we really getting to a place where, where we can be a leader? And I look at examples of questions. Do we have a branch plant mentality? Like, by that I mean Google comes in, they set up an AI research lab, they hire the best and brightest in, from the academic institutions in Canada that are world leaders and basically created fields of AI, pay them well, but all of that shareholder value is accruing to Google. So interesting question. 
Are we preferencing foreign companies? We look at this Amazon HQ. That caused a bit of a stir in the press and so on. And it turns out that we actually went, I think, with our bid, and we did it in a pretty rational way. We said, we're not advantaging you, Amazon, at the expense of all of our local companies. In fact, here are why you should come here on its own merits. That was interesting. And in fact, different than sometimes, I think, how we've operated. I think Canada has actually the greatest opportunity over the next decade as it relates to innovation. Why is that? Somehow we happen to be leaders in the stuff that's really starting to matter going forward. Artificial intelligence and machine learning was basically invented in Toronto. Ethereum was invented, which is a crypto blockchain uh, kind of ledger system, was invented by a Canadian. We have great financial services. We got good robotics out of the Waterloo area and others. We're leaders in IoT. We're leaders in autonomous vehicle. It's actually insane how well positioned we are as an ecosystem. So the question becomes is, how do we avoid not becoming that branch plant again if we agree as a society that we want to lead more forward? And I've thought about it a little bit. Um, lots of people think about this. Super clusters, do you put $200 million into five initiatives and then try to see if you can get growth around themes? Do you, you know, government driving an autonomous vehicle uh, center in Stratford, Ontario, does that, is that the way to do it? I don't really know. But I have a thought. So I'm going to borrow from Dan DeBow. I don't know if he phrased it exactly this way. But he said, what would happen if we built an outcome-based innovation system? And what the theory of that would be, let's say that as a country, we are going to target, we want 10 Shopify's to arise in 10 years. Okay, so we want 10, $10 billion equity value companies to be built in this country in the next 10 years. And I would argue that criteria setting is important. I don't think the government's job is to pick winners. I think that things will start as kernels. And then once they get to a certain level of success, then you look at that and you think about how to then add fuel to that fire effectively. So as a huge um, believer in the country, I'm curious about your thoughts on, um, I mean, I love Toronto. I've been here my whole life, right? Could move other, other places, this U.S., wherever. So what are your views on Toronto becoming this kind of global technology hub? Great question. I've been in Toronto for 23 years. I can't believe what's happened in the last 23 years in this city in terms of evolution of population, of call it all the goodness around the academics, around the hospitals, around the financial sector, around uh, all of the other things that we do so well as a city. Restaurants, quality of life, safety, ethnic diversity, immigration that's been flowing here and kind of being able to integrate to the degree that they do in a very good society. So I think, you know, I look at, just to give a, a couple of examples, diversity, gender diversity. The tech, you know, recent reports have come out, something called Move the Dial, which is an initiative locally around trying to instill gender diversity. The fact that we have those, that people are really rallying behind and driving to, or be it racial diversity or whatever it is, all just awesome. And that's Canadians, and that's Torontonians, and that's how we sit in the world. I love all of that. I also love about Toronto is, as I mentioned, AI, U of T, Vector Institute, Jeff Hinton, you know, go to the next category, financial, fintech, crypto, blockchain, all of that, Toronto, right in the middle of it. And again, the list goes on and on and on. I'm really interested. I mean, crowd, crowdfunding, I think it's a, I mean, it's a pretty new phenomenon, I suppose, right? It's only been around for however long. Yep. What is the interplay between crowdfunding and kind of what Globalive does? Right. Crowdfunding is a very interesting uh, concept. And I think, again, you come back to, there are places where it's been quite successful. Let's use AngelList, if that's if you want to use that as one of the poster childs of 
the venture side of crowdfunding. There are real estate crowdfunding. There's this crowdfunding. Like the U.S., as always, grabbed the ball. The regulators allowed certain things to happen effectively for this, you know, around the securities law concerns. And, you know, it went on fire. To Canada, I think that I would echo a lot of past points that I've made. I think we're more conservative. We don't have as many people thinking about tech and innovation from an investment standpoint, even at the smaller level, you know, tens and twenties of thousands. I think that we are inherently more conservative in the 10-year private company horizons and the this and the that, and even just getting awareness at a most fundamental level. I think we were a little behind on that. And I think, look, if we all know wealth simple. Okay, let's take a brand that's new, fresh, and uh, kind of happening. Let's say that Wealth Simple said, okay, so you know we've got our mainstream financial products. We're clearly, uh, you know, low fee. We're a financial, you know, kind of robo advisor and so on. We're on a very nice roll there. We got a, and we've spent money on advertising to build a brand. Could a group like that think about a product set that would work in crowdfunding and and be an extension of their brand that would allow more mass adoption? I don't know, but I think we do need some snowball or some pushes to raise awareness and then to understand kind of the whole life cycle and probably have to productize it a bit more to bring it out to the masses. But a very interesting thing. The other point that I want to make since we're, we're talking about alternative ways of funding, we didn't get into this in our earlier discussion, but there's, a, there's another rise of a type of funding and that's called an ICO. I don't know if that's hit your radar at all. Initial coin offerings. These fall into the crypto blockchain world. And what has happened is there's been an ability globally to raise money in a really unregulated way and arguably what is a very loose uh, kind of approach to raising money. And, and they've been very successful, a number of companies at issuing what they call a token, which sits on top of some economic construct and in theory is supposed to ultimately provide value back to the buyer. I We are very, very, very skeptical of that funding mechanism. We think that we're at the beginning of, we've seen a lot of these up and down cycles over the years. We're a little older than we used to be. So .com 1.0, credit crisis, Linux, you know, you name it. You put .com on the end of your name, it goes. You put blockchain now on the end of your name, it seems to go. We view that, some of that kind of funding, A, sucking funding out of other alternatives, and B, a very risky end. But it's funny, when I think about innovation and productizing and scale, I didn't think about a lot of the things that you talked about, and maybe that's my own naivete, if you will. But I, I, I bet there's a lot of people listening who would feel the same in terms about in terms of the things they need to think about in order to be successful. So thank you for that, because that's uh, unbelievable. We'll we'll talk outside. I have some ideas I want to pitch. No, okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. But we're um, always open for more ideas. Come on in. Yeah, that's right. I love it. That, the hundreds of thousands of ideas. That you know, as I say, ideas are easy, but the execution is hard. And execution, I think, is really multi-dimensional in terms of all the things you need to think about. So, Bryce, thanks, man, for coming Great out to meet and, you. and spending time with us. Uh, I'm sure you're busy. These kinds of things are great. They put awareness out there on the, all these innovation themes that we've been talking about and pushing. And so keep up the good work with this, and I look forward to the end product. Thank you guys for hosting me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Shift. You can get more details at pwc.com slash ca slash shift. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe to our podcast series. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, or your preferred podcast platform. Just so you know, this podcast has been prepared by PricewaterhouseCoopers, LLP, 
an Ontario limited liability partnership for general guidance on matters of interest only and does not constitute professional advice. Until next time.